All right, how's it going? Welcome to Know Your Gear QA live podcast number 262. Uh, seems like a fast week. We were just here last Friday, last week. And so today we have a couple things to get caught up on from last week, a couple subjects, and of course we have lots of questions. And uh, let's get into it. First thing we want to discuss is last week's episode where we talked about reverb and those weird uh, auctions or uh, you know sellers selling things. Here's an interesting thing that I, I want to just talk about. I sent, I told you guys last week, I sent uh, my concerns to the only contact I had at Reverb. Uh, they were very nice to me and sent me back an email saying, hey, we're going to forward that on, right, to somebody at Reverb. I never heard anything back, nor did I really expect to, or I even need to. I was just hoping either they would give me an update so I could give you an update or make an update on their own platform since their platforms are bigger than mine. The point is 250,000 guitar players either watched last week's show or streamed a podcast. And the uh, amount of comments were, were heavy, <laughs> but the amount of emails were also equally as heavy and a lot of theories about what it could be. And a lot of people's at least claiming that they got somehow involved in those, uh, those uh, auctions. And the one thing that I want to, uh, tell you guys that unfortunately, because Reverb hasn't said anything, they haven't acknowledged that this is even a problem. And since doing that show, I've seen, if not more of those auctions uh, popping, you know what I mean? Popping up and and uh, and offering crazy things. I saw a basically what I would consider a three thousand dollars used guitar just yesterday posted for seven hundred fifty dollars again out of Europe. And a lot of you guys reached out to me, told me that when you had an experience or when you had an experience with those uh, people selling things dirt cheap, that there was a lot of communication outside of Reverb. In other words, they were contacting you outside of Reverb, saying, "Hey, can you pay me outside of Reverb?" and one thing that's important is it looks like to me that looks like the biggest part of the con is that they're trying to get you to get outside of reverb seller protection, buyer protection programs. Um, it definitely does not look like it's on the up and up and it looks like it's running pretty rampant. Another thing I got a lot of emails about was that these things are apparently everywhere. Um, you know, these, these scams, uh, basically putting, you know, really amazing gear up for almost no, you know, no money. And uh, sadly, with no information from Reverb, I can't give you guys any information. So we're just going to have this community look out for each other and be aware. And thank you guys for sharing your stories. And, you know, uh, it looks like to me, from what I hear from you guys and what I've seen, that's what exactly we have. We have a lot of people out there just trying to see. They're fishing. They're fishing to see who's who's going to take the bait and, and uh, take one of these purchases and give them some money and then basically get screwed out of their money. So please be cautious. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can watch the beginning of last week's show where I kind of go over what was going on. Um, and uh, one thing I do want to show you that I did not show you last week, and I felt pretty bad about that, is uh, I'm going to do that right now, share with you, those of you watching. In fact, I'm going to share one of those. Yeah, let me share an item with you. Um, here you go, web. Okay, so here is uh, an, uh, an item that is an Ernie Ball Music Man Maj Majesty made in the USA with case. They want $750, of course, coming out of London. Uh, however, I want to show you is at the bottom. Where's it at? At the bottom. See, they make it so, so tricky. Now I can't see it, maybe because it's already sold. So let me go to something that, and now keep in mind, what I'm going to show you is 
not uh, a scam. This is something I'm watching, so this is realistic. Let's just pick this pick card. Um, Okay, we want to look for report. There it is. So you see this? So right underneath it, it says about this listing, reverb sh- uh, reviews of this shop, product specs. See, report this listing. You click that. So if you guys are seeing um, things on Reverb that look a little sketchy, you can report that listing. And that's what Reverb, the only thing that Reverb did communicate to me when I first asked him about this is that you could report that. So be aware of that, guys. Uh, you're only helping each other out. And, uh, you know, but be cautious, you know, try to see if it's actually something like looks like a scam. Obviously, to me, these are obvious scams, but who knows with Reverb not really confirming anything about it. Um, yeah, Lisa H says, Reverb does care about their reputation if their reputation, uh, the business plummets. I, I agree. I've had, I've had, you know, I've had a problem with this all week uh, emotionally, <laughs> so you know. Um because, you know, when I talked about it last week, I was just something I, I thought was interesting. I wouldn't have brought it to anybody if I didn't think, you know, someone who's out there in this community active so much wouldn't have seen, you know, it looked weird to me. It's not like I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking at. This is, you know, I have 20 years selling gear experience and buying gear. Oh, well, more than that, buying, but selling gear. And, uh, and, and I, you know, you, you can tell when something's a little off. And so I wanted to bring it up. And I'm really shocked that there's no mention of it on the reverb side. And sadly enough, I talked to a good friend uh, this week who's obviously another person in this industry, and he made a comment that I unfortunately hope is wrong, which is he said, you know, if they if a thousand people get screwed by reverb, then reverb will maybe take care of them. But if reverb makes an announcement that people are getting screwed, hundreds of thousands of people will know that reverb has an issue. And so business-wise, they may not want anybody to know or talk about it. I hope that's wrong. I hope that is wrong. Uh, I hope, I hope that, uh, I hope all this is wrong. I hope that actually somebody's out there getting a $3,000 guitar for 700 bucks. So that's what I really hope is going on. So all right, but that segues in. I know we got questions. I got early risers and stuff to deal with, but uh, that segues into something else that happened this week that was very interesting. And I don't know how many of it, it how many of you, it landed on your radar. So let me go ahead and share this with you, if you don't mind. And uh, let's see. I'm not sure how to do it. <laughs> I'm gonna share. Oh, I can probably do it this way. Here it is. Let me pause this. Okay. So what I'm going to do is share another screenshot with you. This is a video. If you guys know Chase Bliss Pedals, Chase Bliss Pedals, uh, which started in 2013, uh, did a video on the 11th. And this video is the owner of Chase Bliss, Bliss, uh, which I watched the entirety of this twice. He basically has made the announcement that his company is going to go direct and they're no longer going to deal with dealers. Now, keep in mind, he really talks about the fact that they're going to fulfill all the honors, honor all the deals and arrangements they have with their dealers. They're going direct to consumer. Now, that is not new. We've talked about Behringer going direct to consumer, you know, because they they went direct to consumer. We've talked about a ton of companies going direct to consumer. It keeps happening. What he said, there was a couple of things that I took notice to in his speech that I felt just from, you know, me looking at it felt very heartfelt. It looked like someone who was really had a lot of weight on them to, they wanted to discuss this and they really wanted to explain their reasoning. And he, he made a couple, I wish I wrote them down. He made a couple key points that I want to discuss. 
The first one is he talked about the fact that obviously we've been in a boom, uh, you know, especially the the guitar gear boom since COVID. And, you know, since then, he went from five employees to 21 employees. He's trying to keep up with demand. There's supply chain issues. And essentially, there's a couple problems. First, some of his dealers, which is typical, are not educated on his product correctly. So they're not really helping him sell product. And they're not helping customers. They might end up frustrating all the customers that they deal with. This is real common in our industry. You need educated sales staff. This is not a business where you can just walk in and somebody can just hand you something like, you know, you're at a, uh, a convenience store and say, okay, here it is. Here's your cigarettes or your soda pop or whatever and go. You, you got to be able to tell people about these products. So you need educated salespeople. And this industry lacks a lot of them because of the churn, the, the retail uh, environment, you know, has a lot of turnover because of the pay and, and the conditions. So that was one of the things he cited. Okay, I understand that. Something else he said was he didn't want to increase the price of the pedals, that the inflation, the supply chain issues, he's going to raise prices. And he's basically like, look, man, I think my pedals are expensive enough. So he's trying to stay the price increase by basically saying, I will sell direct to the consumer. I will build a support system for the consumer. He talks about all this. I'm paraphrasing everything in 25 minutes. He's going to build a support system and where you can get an information and advice on the pedals and help with your product sales. He will do a direct to sales uh, commerce site. And he will also help keep the prices down. But then he said he would also, it also will help him, enable him to prevent, not that he said he was going to do it, going overseas, keeping product in the USA. And he said, look, he knows growth is usually the, the, the channel, you know, usually followed, the road followed by most companies. He's like, at this point, he wants to make the products he wants to make. He also said that as the company gets bigger, he feels pressure to basically make a hit, okay? Uh, you know, make that pedal that's gonna be the number one seller. And that pedal might not be interesting to him. It might not be interesting to the people that work for him. It's just, you know, everybody buys a Tube Screamer, so Chet Hispless is like, this is our version of a Tube Screamer. Everyone buys a, you know, a, a reverb pedal, so Chase Bliss is gonna make the, you know, reverb pedal. And instead of making something that he really is, finds interesting, which is what he said in his company is his company does a lot of oddball pedals. And I thought this was interesting because one, we could talk about the fact that the, we talk about all the time that all the companies are eventually going to go direct to consumer, especially the ones that can more companies than not are going direct to consumer. As you guys know, I talked to a lot of companies behind the scenes and I can tell you right now, half a dozen companies right now I'm in the talks with exactly right now are all going direct to consumer or a portion of their business is going direct to consumer. And so that could be the conversation, but that's not the conversation I want to have with you today. The conversation I want to have with you today is what it takes to keep your product in the USA. What now, I'm in the USA, so I'm gonna talk about that. I understand some of you guys around the world, so let's say in your country. Not exporting your product, your jobs, your credibility to, a, uh, to Asia, basically. To going to, and again, I'm not trying, to, not trying to be negative about this. I'm trying to basically talk about what we really talk about in this, and on, on channels like this. What it takes to keep your integrity of your company. I'm gonna make this product, I'm going to have the employees. I'm going to handle this. I'm going to talk to my own customers. I'm going to ensure the quality. And this is what it takes. It takes him taking a radical decision to say, you know, he might die. Like he said, he said, well, the majority of his pedals are sold through dealers. So this is a scary thing for him. And I want to applaud this because 
This is a different take on that conversation we've had in the past about going direct, why they do it. We know why they go do it. They can interface with the internet and they can buy, they can get consumers and the customer acquisition cost is a lot cheaper than it was just 10 years ago. It's a fraction of, and, and, and whether you know it or not, that's one of your biggest costs is trying to acquire customers and having an internet system basically makes that cheaper. And, and this has become an interesting thing because although I don't want to see a decline in them using the retailer's system, the retail system, because there's a lot of stores we like, this is an interesting idea that this is also a way to save companies from going down this road that we see so many times. And I once, I think I've told you guys this story once before. I was once talking to the GNL folks at GNL, and they were talking about their import the tribute line and how great it was doing, and how basically they admitted that it was the major uh, income of their company. And so you know, roundabouts, uh, Epiphone is the major income of Gibson, and so is PRS SE is a major income, if not the main income of PRS. The import lines make the money for these companies. And I once said, or I did say to the GNL folks, which I'm repeating now, that uh, in my experience, once an American USA brand imp makes an import line, the import line not only grows, but it eventually, eventually, in most cases, becomes the only thing available. They stop making USA altogether. So I thought this was an interesting thing. I really, really, I really kind of dialed into his his uh, conversation and what he's talking about, what it means. I kind of wish and I hope that uh, as he does this, maybe he would take on a, a couple key retail partners. I think that's a smart idea. Even if those retail partners have to charge a little bit more uh, to get the product. Uh, I know what you're thinking. Why would a retailer want to sell something more than what the, you can buy direct from the consumer? There's a ton of reasons why. You know what I mean? I, I It's who knows? Maybe they don't. <laughs> but sometimes they do because... Uh, sometimes customers want, there's things that retailers bring to the, to the game. They bring zero, uh, zero uh, interest financing. So you can buy products uh, cheap. They buy, they bring one-on-one -on -one support. They bring all kinds of things to this, to this, uh, to this, I don't want to say game, but to this, um, I don't know, to this, <laughs> to the, I'll say to this thing, to this thing. Um, and uh, oh, Lawrence LPD pedal says, I personally like Having direct control with my customer satisfaction, I have a large investment in, in, the cust in my customers having the best experience possible. And again, this is, I definitely think we're going to see more and more, obviously, uh, companies going direct. And that's not the discussion I'm having, though. Although that's a discussion that I'm talking about, my main discussion is what it takes, what does it take to not compromise your product line? I mean, you have two choices in the world. It's inevitable. There's only two things that are inevitable if you own a business. Your costs will continue to go up. They're never going down. <laughs> They're going up, right? Inflation or not, your costs are going up. A thing that you sell to a customer 10 years ago will cost the customer more 10 years from now or whatever, or now versus 10 years from now. That's one. The other thing is, is that you have to make decisions. If the customer won't pay the higher price, that can have an effect. So one of the things they do is... They change the quality of the product. That's one way. Like I said, there's more than more than just, you know, not raising your price. You can adjust the quality. And to see somebody basically say, I don't want to adjust the quality. I don't want to see my uh, product change. I want to keep a, uh, this, this thing the way I want it, I think screams a lot of integrity. And sadly enough, uh, I think that's another reason, not a reason, another reason why we're going to see companies going direct. Sure. Will the 
and I'll just pick on them because they deserve it. The Fender guys, will they just sell direct because that just cuts out the dealer price, the, the, the percentage to the dealer, and they can make that? Sure, of course. They're a big company, and they definitely crunch numbers. They're a big a billion-dollar company basically now at this point, and they're going to probably look at it more like a dollar value and less like a, a customer end game thing because they're not personally invested, right? But the Chase Bliss is basically saying, I'm going to continue to make a great product for my customers, keep the price where I think the customers want to pay, and this is what I think it's going to take to do that. And he doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't know. He says flat out, this could be the end of his company. It's possible. I will tell you this. I don't, I don't know if he'll ever watch this video. I've never reviewed a Chase Bliss pedal, but I'll tell you, I was so inspired by that speech and the idea that quality and price would stay the same that I would gladly offer this uh, to Chase Bliss in perpetuity forever. If from now on, if you ever want me to review one of your pedals, uh, I, I won't charge you. You don't have to give me a pedal. Just if you send me a pedal, I will do a video for you uh, every time you release a, a pedal uh, just to help out if that's, if that's your agenda. If your agenda is to give the best quality at the best price to the consumers, I would love to be a part of that. There's just something about that that's, you know, there's something fun about everything I get to do on this channel. Sure, is it fun to talk about a pedal that's $29? Sure. It, but is it a lot fun, more fun, a lot funner, more fun to talk about something with passion? Absolutely. So that's just my offer. Uh, whether they take it or not, it's out there. And, uh, and on that note, I might just buy the pedals. So, you know, <laughs> just buy them. Um, but I'm talking about sometimes when they release them, you know, they release them to, to the channels before they come out. So that's what would help him is having it out on an early release versus me buying it, you know, two months after it comes out. Uh, Brian says Chase Bliss pedals appear complicated as pedals go. Absolutely. That's why another reason why I'm saying I would do it because I already know it's going to be two days of research to figure out the pedal before I start filming a video. <laughs> Some products, when they send them to you, are just easy. I just turn on the camera and go. Some things take days and days of research. All right. That was the subjects I wanted to, to cover. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed those. Let's get into the subjects you guys want to cover. First, we have some early risers that came early. Jose Soto says, hey, Jose, thank you. Jose is a longtime viewer. He says, hey, Phil, when you determine pickup resistance, um, uh, okay, uh, basically EQ curve, he's asking, okay, how I determine all this stuff. How do you measure, uh, okay, I want to get, I'm going to try to, Trying to decipher, decipher the question a little bit, okay, Jose? He basically is asking what some people ask me is, how, is I, how am I determining the EQ curve in the deep dive series of the, uh, of the pickups? And um, this was uh, an interesting discussion. I've had this email, a ton of emails already on those videos. How am I doing this? How am I deciphering this? And here's what I'm going to tell you. The next deep dive video is the Sire H7. Uh, the patron saw a preview of a piece of it today. Uh, it will be out, I think is Sunday is my release, my release uh, anticipation for release on that. If not, it'd be Monday, but I, I'm open to do it Sunday um, for the H7. Uh, this is the deepest dive, deep dive video I think I've done, uh, which is why they saw a, a piece of it. I wanted to see if it was getting a little too nerdy. And the reason is, is I have to balance, uh, as much as I say I'm an information channel, because I am, I am an entertainment channel. And so, and I say that because I, I really am not interested in like getting 10,000 views and of the 10,000, only a thousand people watch more than a one minute into it. That's not really, you know, the goal. The goal is to get people to watch what you're making. That's, that's really somebody, you know, 
in, you know, that's really when you win, right? I've told you guys before, how many views I get is not ma doesn't matter to me. It's how long I keep you guys engaged matters to me. It tells me that what I'm making, to me, it matters. To me, it matters. And w when I did the deep dive series, which is no different than all my other videos I did before, except for I was categorizing everything. I was kind of planning it out and maybe just going a little bit deeper each piece. The question, the, the big question for me is how nerdy, how geeky do you want to get? before it starts just like you guys start, I, I'm droning and you guys don't pay attention to anything I'm saying anymore. And so on the pickup thing was, I wanted to give you information, but I didn't know how much information you guys would really want. So on this new video, this will be uh, the deepest explanation of how I'm getting the information about the pickups I'm getting. And I've decided to get rid of, and I'll tell you guys, I'll still give you the answer. I decided to get rid of the EQ uh, part of the video that's actually out now. What's better now, which which I think was better, is now I'm giving you. <laughs> this is what I'm giving you instead. Now I'm giving you how I dis I dis I dissect. <laughs> Sometimes I talk so fast. I'm giving you guys how I dissect a pickup now. In fact, this one is very detailed. How I dissect their pickups on the Sire uh, Larry Carlton, and then I'm giving you exactly what I think this pickup is comparable to and how it compares to another type of pickup. And I find that's a better gauge of information for you. Now, to, to answer uh, Jose's question, when I get a pickup uh, and I'm testing it, there's a couple things I test. First, of course, I put it on a multimeter and I test it for uh, uh, resistance. That's one of the things I, I test. The next thing I'm gonna do is uh, test it to see uh, what the inductance is. That's gonna tell me, I like to say how much it's going to push the amp. That's basically the biggest thing I want to I want to I focus on. However, um, most of you guys don't have a multimeter at home. When I did a video like how to check your pickups, I showed you guys like a five dollar um, Harbor Freight multimeter because that's what something either you have or you can get. A lot of the other testing equipment, like I have a Tesla gauge and I can test the gauss of a pickup. I do that as well. So when I test a pickup, there's four things I check on a pickup when I'm looking at it. Um, I check the resistance to see how much wires on it. I check the inductance to see uh, basically how much, how, how much the magnet, how much juice it has. That's kind of not the way to put it, but you just have to know it's going to tell me how much, how hard the pickup's going to push the amp. And then I, I, I use a Tesla uh, gauge and I, I basically check the gauss to see, that's to see what kind of magnet I'm dealing with. I want to know if it's Alnico 2, 4, uh, you know, 5, 8, ceramic, you name it, uh, a rare earth magnets like neodymium. Um, that will help me decipher that. And then I use an EQ analyzer and I run the pickup into this block that I have and I drop it in there. And then um, it has this, uh, like it's a fake guitar. It's like a, looks like a boring looking guitar on a bench and I strum it and this audio of the pickup clean goes into this, uh, my computer into a software. It's an, it's an EQ analyzer and it gives me the EQ range of the pickup. That doesn't tell me what you guys are seeing, by the way, that just gives me that plus the inductance, plus the capacitance, um, uh, uh, plus the, uh, resistance plus the gauss, which is the, <laughs> the type of magnet. All that tells me a thing. Um, and reason that is important is, is that I've spent years now, um, checking all those pickups you see in the shop. There's, there's, I was just counting them this week there. And I, I got, I'm having finished inventorying all the pickups. There's over 300 sets of pickups in the shop. Um, and all of those pickups I've broke down exactly like I've told you and charted them out. <laughs> So I know, and uh, had nothing to do with YouTube, it has to do with making pickups and working with pickup companies and giving them information and stuff. So, so anyways, that's my point. How geeky do you want this to get? It could get pretty dang geeky. So, 
Um, yeah, at least that's a little more complicated than I suspected. It's not complicated, it's just kind of boring, but I think I found the right way to do this. So I would love it, especially you guys that watch every week on the show, if you watch the Sire H7 video, which is gonna be like the other deep dives, but just a little bit more and a little bit faster flow for that stuff. Let me know if you like how I'm approaching that. And uh, and uh, and again, we'll keep tweaking the videos as it goes. My goal is to teach you guys as much as I think somebody can learn and also have fun. Cause I gotta have fun. Who wants to go to just, you know, you're, you know, I don't wanna make jokes against teachers, it's not fair. Um, Super Lead 100 says, can you talk more about Gauss? Well, Gauss is basically just how much, uh, I wanna say magnetic energy the magnet's gonna hold, right? How much, how much it has. I really don't focus on that too much. Really, what I'm really trying to figure out is what kind of magnet is in there. The reason that's important is because, um, you know, when you get really geeky in this, and I promise I'll, I'll go to the next subject fast. Um, when you get really geeky in this, you find that uh, magnets pickups are no different than anything else, especially in this industry, where over the years, things that we were told about the pickups, these historic pickups, is not really true or was only true for a short time. So in other words, there might be an Alnico 2 magnet in this type of pickup, but then for 10 years, they switched to a five because that's all they could get. There's all kinds of weird stuff like that. So um, yeah, and then Susan says Gauss and Tesla are similar units. Sure, of course, absolutely, right, absolutely. Um, and, uh, and I thought, uh, I thought one of the cool things that's coming up is, uh, you'll see too, is I do have a video, uh, just showing you how I'm breaking down what I just talked about and the idea that if you're watching a deep dive, you can go to those videos for reference. Uh, LPD says you need a magnetic field, uh, frequency oscillator to make the string strum more consistent for the strum to the next. Um, yeah, I don't strum it. So I should be clear. Like I said, I maybe just do a video. I don't strum the pickup. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's an arm on a, on a spring and it swings. Um, I am under, this is where it gets a little tricky. This is where it gets a little tricky. The thing that I'm using to strum the pickup and put the pickup in, it was owned, uh, by another pickup ma uh, maker and he made me one and he doesn't want anybody to see it. And I think it's, I don't wanna say it's silly. I think it's a cool idea and that's why I have it. But I don't, I don't have like carte blanche to be like, yeah, check this out. So I think I can show how I'm doing it and not necessarily give up his little secret juice. Although I don't think it's, you know how it is. You know, how it, he was nice enough to make it for me. I just wanna put it that way. Let's put it this way. I have a friend, he made me a really nice gift. I like it. He's a little nervous about it. Whatever his things are his things on it. I'll show you what I can show you. But yeah, it's it's really cool. <laughs> it's really cool. It helped us uh, figure out how to get, I don't know, I haven't talked about this, but it's probably a good time to talk about because we're almost, looks like we're gonna, we're gonna, it's not time yet, but we're getting there. We got through the first phase. Um, we applied for a patent on one of my pickups. The first, first run looks good. So the first, uh, the first bit came back and said that they, they don't, they, they do a search to see if there's a patent like it. There's not. That doesn't mean I'll get the patent, but that'll be cool. It'll be interesting. We'll see. It'll be my first patent. I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Lauren says, mine sounds better and more old school. It's old school because the person who made it is old school. He's just an old winder that I like. He's a good friend. Uh, <laughs> I know you guys are going to... You know what's great? What I love about telling you guys this is you guys know I know a few 
uh, very publicly, you know, I know a few good pickup builders, small ones and big ones. So I know you're going to go nuts trying to figure out which one it was. I'm never going to tell anybody. So not to give you that as a nightmare, but there it is. Let's talk about what Ken wants to talk about. Ken wants to talk about Fender and NFTs. Oh, man. Can you explain? Can anyone explain? So what he's talking about is Fender made some announcement that I couldn't keep the attention to even pay attention to the announcement, but I understand what he's going with this. Fender announced that they're trademarking a bunch of NFTs. For those of you who don't have millennials in your house, <laughs> uh, NFT is a non-fungible fungible token. I'm probably not even sure if I'm saying it right. Non-fungible? I'm pretty sure it's non-fungible token. Here's what I can tell you about NFTs. It's very little, but it might help. <laughs> It might help. So uh, NFTs, a lot of people will say they're stupid. A lot of people say they're great. Um, here's what I want to explain. And if I'm, it's going to be somewhat accurate to the point where I, like I said, I think you'll get the the, the idea, okay? Um, if you guys know about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, and if you don't, NFTs, see, Carlos says NFTs and cryptos are a scam. Well, here's where it gets a little tricky. And so just listen to my explanation do with it what you will, either research to find out how accurate or inaccurate my explanation is. Um, but I really feel like my uh, my explanation really makes the most sense uh, from what I can understand. Cryptocurrency, regardless of what it is or isn't, is really about the blockchain. It's about, it's about this ledger. I just like the word ledger, okay? So everybody understands that, right? You Let's say you go around your office and you're all putting in $10.00 to bet on something and you create a ledger and you write down everybody who gave you $10. You hold the ledger, okay? What's more important than the money, well, is the ledger because the ledger will tell you when you win or lose who to give money to, right? Who, who they bet on or bet against. So this ledger becomes really important, okay? But more important than the ledger is the credibility of the person at your office writing things down. Because it doesn't help that if Phil <laughs> writes down $10 and then puts you on the wrong side of the bet, right? Or puts down you put a dollar when you put 10 or put you as $100 when you put 10 on the right or the wrong side of the bet. So a ledger is of course not only very important, but the accuracy and credibility of that ledger is extremely important. Whether I don't do cryptocurrency, I don't have an opinion about that. I could give two craps about that. I'm just going to tell you that the, what we're trying to get to is NFTs because NFTs really connect to crypto. So you have this crypto, which essentially is the important part is this blockchain, this ledger that says it's going to track who, where, what everybody has. And it's accurate and it can't be messed with. I'm not saying that's a fact. I'm saying that's what they say. NFTs, essentially like owning a a video of Michael Jordan dunking or whatever is essentially that same ledger, right? Is it important that this person in Nebraska owns a picture of a Strat or is it important that there's a ledger out there that forever will always say that person owns that picture of that Strat? So it's guaranteed, right? There's some kind of, like I said, ledger blockchain behind it. I find this all confusing. I find it almost a little boring. However, um, like you, I hear about it. it. It sounds a little confusing. Some of you guys probably understand it way better than me too. My explanation is just enough to at least you can understand what somebody else is talking about. 
not enough to where I would advise doing anything with that information I just gave you. But that's essentially what it is. Uh, an NFT, a non-fungible token, is a way of selling vaporware, something that doesn't exist, but because it's connected to a blockchain. In other words, proof that you own this non-existent vaporware thing. Um, yeah, Ellen says blockchain for dummies. Maybe that's what it was. I hope that helps. And again, maybe if you guys decipher it, you'll get more information out of it. Here's what I know. That's what I learned or figured out. That was enough for me to go, yeah, I'm okay. I'll just go buy a real strat or I know I'm probably missing out or not missing out. I don't care. But that wasn't the point. The point was Ken wanted to know what I thought of Fender and FTs. I think the same thing about all this stuff. Can we just, you know, I, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to try to re-educate myself enough to do this stuff now. This is too confusing. Yeah, I know. I'm, I know. Where's the KYG coin or the Know Your Gear uh, <laughs> NFT? Yeah. Uh, I kind of feel like, I don't know. I just, it's enough to make me, give me a headache. But there's my two cents. That's my NFT two cents. Uh, okay, the next one was from the Eagle and Pony Show, who says, I bought a 1970 Gibson for $2,000. The guy came back five days later, wanted it back. I had did a setup on it. It was covered in 20 years of tar. Ooh, yeah, ECT. So I've done that. We have to scrape all their cigarette tar off the fretboards and stuff. Uh, should I sell him the guitar back? Um, you know, here, here's, here's, I'm going to give you two takes on it. And, you know, because there's two ways to approach this and it really, really comes down to you both times. What I mean by that is you have to sleep at night. And unfortunately, some of us are more kinder natured than others. Look, I, I spent up front of this. I have friends that if I, I have a, I have friends that if that was the situation that happened to them, I already know. They'd be like, too bad, so sad. It's called sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. Then I have friends, maybe I'm more like this, where I'll feel bad for some stupid reason. And then it bugs me. You know what I mean? That they wanted it back. Even though it's them and it's not me. Uh, you know, I internalize it instead of externalize the problem. Um, so you have to know that about your personality. If I was in your situation, so let me give you the two scenarios. If I was in that exact situation, I would sell them back the guitar, but they would have to pay me for my time and effort and something that we can be both agreeable on. I would literally present it to them exactly like that. I am here, I'm willing to work with you, but we're gonna come to an arrangement that we both benefit from. And you know what I mean? And and fair, fair. And that's for you know everybody to decide. So if uh, if it was me, I'd say, look, I want my my I want compensation for my time because this is what I did for this guitar, and this is what you have to do. You know what I mean? And, and if you do that, great. Um, that would be me. Uh, one of my friends who's a vintage guitar collector, who I've said he's kind of gruff, I know for a fact he'd be like, all sales are final, dude. You know, he's like, I'm not a Walmart, no returns, no 30 days up to returns. So you have to decide. What I will tell you is, Either way, legally, I think you're covered. I don't think there's any grounds for them to say you have to sell it back to them. So you could just keep it. And I would just, I would just decide that. If, like I said, decide you, your personality. Um, work with them or don't. Uh, both, both. It's your. What's great is this. Uh, you're in the best role of the negotiation. You're in the part of the power. You, <laughs> you have all the power of this negotiation. Uh, possessions nine tenths of the law. You are holding the guitar. They want the guitar back, you know, figure it out. So I, I don't know, but I understand. Like, I understand it's, it's a tricky thing. 
I would also go off the person that was I was dealing with and how nice they were. And that's why it's nice to be nice. It's why it's good to be nice to people. Because sometimes when you have a situation where you need something back, it might pay a dividend that you were a nice person a couple days ago. But if you were kind of a jerk, <laughs> this is where you're going to reap the benefits of that too. So... All right. Okay. Okay, hold on. I have uh, another one. I have um, uh, Travis. Uh, Travis says, uh, new Epiphone V with Fluence pickups. Crackling when playing. Could it be the battery? I would say definitely before checking anything else in the guitar, the battery would be the first thing I would change because when the batteries get a little low, they not only crackle, they kind of distort a little bit and then they just, it just gets worse and worse. That's possible. Um, especially if you're strumming it because that's it's definitely, you know, because it would peak and then drop real fast because the battery would just put out whatever it has and then just immediately start dying out real fast. So if that's kind of how you feel like you hit the first, if the first thing you do has a little bit more than what you, everything you play after that, that's definitely the battery just dying off. But I would do that anyways. That's the first step. Nine volt battery, put a good one in there. And then uh, it says, uh, haven't put many hours on it. What does it sound like when the active pickup battery goes out? That's exactly what I just told you. The other thing, if it's not that, you put a new battery and you find the problem, then you could have a bad potentiometer. Um, you know, some, uh, the biggest sign of, of cooking a potentiometer is the best way I guess I would put that. When somebody uses a soldering gun and just heats the hell out of that and burns up all, everything inside of it, they will crackle and kind of make all those kind of, uh, kind of sounds. So they could have, they could do that. You could have a frayed wire that's not, uh, not connected correctly and it's moving. Uh, but like I said, start with the battery, then I would go through and test all the electronics and that would be the best way to do it. And it's very quick and very easy, especially since you first bought it or you just bought it. You can check all that stuff. It's not really any cost to you a time. You know, the battery is something that's pretty easy. And then after you, if you can't find anything, maybe you have to exchange it for another guitar, but that stuff is, is um pretty good. Um, okay, hold on a second. Yeah, uh, Chad saying a battery can also make it sound dark and dull as well. Absolutely, um, it it absolutely can. Like I said, I I, I uh, it's one of the things about active electronics I'm not a fan of is. Uh, that fear that the battery is going to die out. <laughs> I forgot who I was interviewing once. Uh, this is, uh, uh, they were, they were a guitar player, a professional guitar player that played active. And they were saying before every show, they put a new battery in. And I was like, man, that just sounds crazy. Uh, <laughs> but I understand. I can understand why it would concern them. They won't always want a fresh battery for every show. Okay. Um, we have some, we have more questions, which makes sense because we do questions. We have, I have no idea, Thor. <laughs> I see Thor and then I yell for, someone say Thor. Thor says, uh, got a Harley Benton Les Paul copy, won't stay in tune. New graph tech nut locking tuners, intonation set well, even got a string butler. No use. Any advice? Uh, yeah. So graph tech is a great, uh, not for sure, but just because you put it on there doesn't mean necessarily that uh, it's cut right. They, they kind of use generic slots. So I don't know if you actually took the time to cut the slots. When you buy these Graftech uh, nuts or this, uh, the new bone or tusk with a Q, um, 
you understand that they're pre-slotted, but it's kind of like a generic, like they just put a line there for you. You really kind of have to cut them yourself. And that is going to be 90% of what I would focus on. If you've already done that and you feel confident that yours is executed correctly, um, the tuning keys, rather regardless of the quality or locking keys, are usually not the problem as long as you know how to restring a guitar, uh, you know, well. Um, I would say you uh, that based on what you're saying, I'm saying I'm thinking the nut, or you didn't say what kind of strings. You know, have you properly stretched your strings, and or and and or are you using a good quality set of strings because that makes a huge difference as well. Um, you mentioned using the uh, string butler. I have I I have no faith in that thing at all. Um, they reached out to me once, and I think they I can't remember because it was years ago. It was pre-COVID, so obviously more than a couple years. I think they reached out and asked me if I was interested in doing a video on that. And I'm as skeptical as hell about it um, for a ton of reasons. And uh, I can't remember what I told them, what I asked for. I think I wanted them to pay me something. And the reason is because I knew it was going to be hours and hours of research, not, not just putting it on a guitar. Like, I really wanted to, like get into this thing and either prove or disprove it works or not. I find the whole thing useless. <laughs> That's just how I feel. Some of you guys are going to uh, send comments or emails to me because I said that saying you have one and it works great. I'm not denying that. You might have it. It works great. What I'm uh, going to argue is when I say it's useless, it's not because it doesn't work. It's because I would gladly put any well-cut nut on a Les Paul against a string butler, it will stay in tune. It will stay in, uh, Les Pauls can stay in tune. <laughs> Les, we, we talk about Les Pauls not staying in tune and Gibson's not staying in tune. It's because if they're not done right, then they don't stay in tune. That's true with all guitars, but a lot of guitars just by design can get away with a whole lot of not, not being so perfect and, and be more in tune. So, uh, yeah, you, I don't think you need that. So I'm, what reason I tell you that is I don't think that's going to help the situation. If the nut is wrong, the butler is not going to help. It's that's the irony of the thing. It's a it's a thing to help your guitar stay in tune, but it's dependent on how well the nuts cut. Anyways, there you go. Uh, Scott says Tim Pierce uh, loves the string butler. I bet you I'd love to see how many of his guitars have it on there. <laughs> I see a lot of, and I like Tim, and we're we're, we're friends. I'll ask him. I'm going to see Tim next month. I'll ask him how much he likes it. I'm sure there, well, here's where it gets confusing and maybe there's a difference. Um, Tim does videos like I do videos, like channels do videos. And sometimes when you, you relay a piece of information, like here's a good product, let me show you why it would fit your needs. I, I would normally, if the argument was, this is the problem with String Butler. If the argument was that you could buy this product, okay, and not have your nut cut correctly, then what a great idea because I know most of you not, not only don't know how to do it, but also don't have $150 worth of nut, uh, nut files to do the work. So uh, that's the problem. The problem is, like I said, the product is dependent on something else being right. And my experience is if that's right, then you shouldn't have a problem anyways. See what I'm saying? It's kind of like, it's kind of like to me, if somebody invented a spring on your tremolo arm that pushes your tremolo arm back up. <laughs> Like, okay, I could see the point of it, but I could also see the point that if it's set up correctly, it will work fine. So that's just my thought. But like I said, I didn't test it ex uh, extensively, and I'm not gonna because, uh, it, like I said, I, I just don't see a benefit. Unless, of course, you guys were to say, like you guys normally do sometimes, 
I really, really want to know. Um, the other problem is, the other problem is, and I've kind of maybe didn't say this and I should say this, is you also understand that if it, a string butler, the main product that it's going to help is a Gibson, the Gibson guitar, if you put that on your guitar, you're going to ruin the resale value of your Gibson. Uh, here's why. Uh, you put a string butler on your Gibson Les Paul, and then 10 years later when you take it off, I guarantee you, wherever the string butler was, even though it didn't touch the body, there'll be a dark, there'll be that shape of the string bu- butler etched like into your finish of your guitar. Where, because I told you, the nitrocellulose lacquer, it ages, it lightens, it changes. And if you put something over it, I mean, it will be true if you have a pick guard, right? You take the pick guard off, it's going to be darker underneath the pick guard. It's, it's going to be the same problem with the butler. So, again, that's a that's not that's not the reason why I don't like it. That's just a factor in. So to me, it's like there's got to be a lot of things. I'm just not convinced. So, so there you go. Um, and also, so you know, a lot of times I can't remember. I wish I could remember you guys, what I told him, the guy that reached out from. I think he was from String Butler. Sometimes they have marketing companies. Um, I think I told him I want a couple hundred bucks. Send it in a couple hundred bucks to basically pay for my time to to figure it all out. And what I find a lot of the times on those companies is um, that's a great litmus test to say to basically see like how how convinced they are, you know. So, but there you go. That's my thoughts. Again. If you have it and you like it, that doesn't mean anything. You're allowed to obviously like it. I like things you guys hate too. Um, and if it's working for you, well, then I'm very excited. And again, I'd be willing to try it. Uh, and and, uh, and if you as a viewer have one and you're not using it and you would be willing to loan it to me and ship it to me, I'll send it to you back. That I'd be willing to do too. Again, because here's why. I'm willing to do stuff that's interesting for you guys and me for the community, but I'm not really here to help a company if they're not really to, you know, put their money where their mouth is and give it a, you know, like I said, I, I'd like, I'd like to see how, cause I would really try the hell out of it. <laughs> it would be, I'd be very unforgiving. Uh, Wanna Beetle says, Hey, have you ever had a piece of gear stolen? I had to, or, or had to sell it and you wake up crying every night for years because you don't have any more. Luckily that never happened to me. Thank you, Wanna Beetle. Thank you for. There's a bunch of people right now cringing at their memories of what you just draw, brought up. Um, have I? Ha- I have had gear stolen for sure. I've had a lot of things stolen, of course. Uh, but like I said, one of the most famous things I ever have stolen for me is that you guys know my red Dana scoop was stolen and I got it back. And um, and uh, is there gear I've had to sell? Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> of course, of course. Tons of gear all through my twenties. <laughs> Everything is sold to pay a bill or take care of something. Of course. Yes. For sure. Um, Brian says, Phil's going to break it. I don't think it's a durability test issue for me. It's more of a, like I said, what I want to know is, here's what I want to know. I tell you exactly. We're talking about the string butler again. We're going back to that. I want to stick it on a guitar and then the guitar just be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that to me is the benefit of a product like that is that you, you don't need someone to do all the work. You know, you put it on and I'm, then I'm sold on the idea, right? I'm, I'm sold on an idea that's 
a quick fix for somebody. Like you do this and it stays in tune. You do this and it's better. But like I said, to me to have to sit there and go, okay, I'll put it on. Then I make sure everything like, you know, works. Um, all right. <laughs> uh, Mark says he'd give up a kidney before he give up guitars. Yeah. I donated plasma. I did that <laughs> to try to not have to sell a guitar. Didn't work. I still had to sell it. Uh, yeah, L. Scott says, didn't you sell everything to uh, when you went in the Army? I absolutely did. It was all gone uh, by then, uh, and especially when I joined. I sold it all. Yep. Yep. Good times. Good times. Um, but that wasn't the question. So, you know, the question was, like, is there anything I sold that I still think about? And yes. Yeah, there is a few things here and there. For sure. Of course. And, and to be honest, though, I could probably find them and get them back at this point in my life, find a product like it and buy it. But, you know. That moment is gone. Uh, Leon says, hey, Phil, are there any guitars you thought were particularly good in cleaning up with the guitar volume? Currently, I have an Eric Johnson Strat, and it seems to good uh, be good to me. Sure. Um, well, I don't think it's a guitar. It's the pickup, right? Pickup, some pickups clean up really nice uh, and don't, you know, with the amp. Uh, the Eric Johnson Strat, I, I think I've said this many times, is one of the best Fender Strats they make. It's the only, in my opinion, it's the only production Strat that is of custom shop quality. And the way that it's done, it's nitrous lacquer. It's a uh, 50s era Strat spec neck with a 12 inch radius fretboard, which is really cool. I think everything is really cool about it. I think they're all spec'd within seven and a half pounds, something like that. Now, of course, some will be a little lighter, some will be heavier, but you don't understand there's a variance, like they don't want them too heavy. You won't find one too heavy or super, super light for the most part, unless it's the, you know, the F hole one. And uh, it's a great guitar, um, but it's those pickups are, are really good. They'll clean up. Sure. So it's to me, a um, all my guitars, like I said, I sometimes I have a lot of lower output pickups. It's for that reason I like to clean up. They they clean up when I am nice. Anything that's not uh, you know a heavy fire breathing dragon pickup is great for cleaning up an amp because you roll it off and it just drops really fast and sounds really good. Christopher says, "Hey Phil, last week's super chat uh, going with Demarzio instead of Lace. Oh okay. You know what, Christopher? I'm glad you you brought that up. I have something to share with you on that. Uh, he says I uh, suggested." Order an Air Norton chopper and a Pro Track, thinking, uh, thinking BMN respectively. Okay, I don't know what BMN, uh, but I will tell you. You know what's funny is I told you guys that story that happened. I was telling you about the lace and the other YouTube channel. And after I told the story when I was indexing it, I left out a piece, and I should point out there was a piece to that story because I was, when I was hearing it back, I go, yeah, why was I so upset with them, or why was it such a weird situation? And I remember what it was. The channel that was having the custom guitar built contacted the told the manufacturer that they because the manufacturer was building this guitar for this channel as a promotion and they they said what pickups you want it and the YouTuber said I really like uh, uh, lace let's do lace and they said well we don't we don't have lace and he goes well I'll contact lace for you so he contacted lace said he'd like to get a set didn't ask for him for free or anything you know obviously he just wants to buy a set and then lace said well if you can introduce me to the manufacturer right? Um, I really want to deal with that manufacturer. If you introduce me to them, I will send you a set of pickups. And he said, well, let me think about it. Okay. Because it, you guys can imagine that's a weird thing to have to do. You're, you know, it's, it's almost like an Amway kind of thing. Like, and I got to talk to my friend and be like, Hey, yeah, you don't want to buy something. So he's like, I got to call the manufacturer back and Hey, go, Hey, I need you to talk to Lace. They want to sell you pickups to give me a set of pickups to put in this guitar. And before 
um, before I guess he decided because he was you know it hadn't been 24 hours. Lace had contacted him back and said, "We also see you deal with this other manufacturer. We want you to connect us with that manufacturer as well." And so he called me. That's how I got involved in it. I, I couldn't remember how it all went down. So it was after the story I told you. So this is just giving you part of that story. Um, he asked me what I thought, and I said, "Well, it sounds like he wants you to give up two of your friends that you've built years with rapport with these manufacturers. He wants you to." Just, get you to like, you know, hook him up with those companies all for what? $40 worth of his product. And I said, um, and, and I said, well, the question is, you know, ask him how interested he is in the project first. Right. It sounds like to me, he's just like, you know, I'll give you $40 worth of uh, uh, pickups. If you give me all these leads to these companies. So he went back to lace, told him, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure if I'm comfortable with that. And then lace told him, which is why, I don't want to tell, I'm going to keep it in order. I'm sorry. Lace told him, well, we're really not interested in work with you. Your channel is not that great. That's actually almost hundred percent accurate. And, um, he told me that. And then I was like, what? But they're asking you for favors. You're not great, but they're all they're, but you're worth favors. And so I told him, you know, say screw it, pound sand. So he didn't do it. And then it was a couple weeks later that Lace had stopped me at the NAMM show and said, wait, we want to work with you. And, I, in that day, I couldn't remember what was happening, but I remember thinking like, yeah, you know, you were kind of shitty to a smaller channel. So that's kind of what I took from the situation. By the way, that offends me, by the way. You know, there's a saying, or at least a, a, some, at least somebody in my family thinks it's a saying, the person who's rude to the waitress but nice to you is not a good person. Um, and and that's, that's kind of how I felt. I'm like, so I'm valuable because I have a quarter million subs and they're not valuable because they don't have that. Oh, F off and pounds down. So that's why I didn't work with them. So Christopher, I'm sorry. I just telling you that because I told you part of it and I couldn't remember the, that last bit because it was a couple years ago, obviously. So I'm glad you got the, 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 uh, the DiMarzio. Uh, I love the chopper. I love the Air Norton. The Pro Tracks great too as well, but I mean, I'm, it's a great pickup, but I love the chopper. It's one of my favorite pickups. Okay, let me go back to the main screen, as we say, and look for some non-super chats so we can talk about what you guys are talking about. Okay. Um. You know, sometimes I got to tell you guys, just on a side note, after the show, when I index and timestamp everything, I get to read all your comments. And one of the downfalls of doing this show, it's the only downfall, is that when you guys are bantering, I, I enjoy it so much. And sometimes I get distracted and I just want to get engulfed in reading what you guys are talking about. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, no, I have to, I have to, I have to stay, stay focused, stay focused. Okay. Um, okay. Um, all right. Let me, let, next question. How about that? Next subject or question. What is it going to be? It's going to Alex. Alex says new Ibanez AS73G with Gator Case plus hip shot locking tuners would be $770 plus selling like new for $500, but not getting many bites. Is my money asks too high your approach to pricing used guitars with uh, a case and upgrades um well just because it's not selling doesn't mean the price is too high it also means there's not a not a customer for it yet too 
Like I said, you have to decide if you want the highest possible price, you have to wait the longest possible time. That's exactly, you know, you wait for your buyer. If you want to move it, you price it to where people impulse it. Look, people will take a shot at something if it seems like a good deal. It's just, it's just how he is. It's not everybody's looking for a good deal. I've said this before. It's one of, I don't want to say pet peeve. It's not that strong of a thing with me, but it's one of the things that I always like to talk about. People talk about the guitar player, especially guitar communities are so focused on good deals. And it's technically true. However, there's a little piece of information I always want to kind of put out there. It's not that people need a good deal and they want to get, you know, their stuff dirt cheap. It's sometimes it's as simple as you need incentive to impulse buy this thing that you don't really need. It doesn't even have to be a guitar, right? It's like, do I need a third Strat? No. So why would I buy one at the highest possible price when I'm not even sure if I like it? So sometimes a deal is not only just a thing, a reason to buy, it helps like, okay, I'll take a pass at it. Let me, let me see. And, uh, and so that's the thing. So when you're selling your gear, you have to decide. You, you understand. I mean, I think any, all of you watching understand this. If you want to sell your gear, you know what it sells for. At least educate yourself. You could go on eBay and Reverb, see what they've been selling for. Get a sense of it. Price yours under that. Yours will go. Somebody will buy it because they were already looking at one. Yours is cheaper. Why not buy yours? It's, a, it's an easy thing to, to do. However, if you want your premium price, well, then you wait. And you wait until the person who really wants it, wants it. And I can't, I don't have, I wish I had better advice than that. I just don't. You know what I mean? Uh, that's the, that's the tough part. Um, this is a good segue. I bought, I told you guys, I want to share it with you guys. I told you guys last week I bought a guitar. Let me share the guitar I bought with you. This is a Parker Nightfly. What? Look at that. Some of you right now are like, ugliest thing ever. Some of you guys are cool as hell. Uh, however, this is the Bolton Parker. So I like to call it the ugliest strat ever. <laughs> okay. And this was the story that I was telling you guys uh, last week, I think, when I mentioned that somebody listed this and I wanted to know the weight, how much, this one was seven pounds, two ounces. I said, how much does it weigh? And then I put, I know you're taking offers. I don't want to send you an offer. I'll pay your asking price. Just, I'd like to know the weight before I commit. And he responded seven pounds, two ounces. I said, great. I paid him full price, um, even though he was accepting offers. And the reason I did that was, um, this is exactly what I was looking for. A Sunburst one with the original DiMarzio pickups um, with good frets, good condition, no dents, no dings, original gig bag in beautiful condition. And I personally felt like he was asking maybe $150 over what they were going for. You know what I mean? Uh, and I was willing to pay that. And the reason is, is because when I did the... Um, Close guitar video, that got me super excited about a carbon fiber neck. I just really wanted a carbon fiber neck guitar after that video. One of the downfalls is you guys can imagine, you guys sometimes watch YouTube videos and uh, you're like, oh, now I gotta buy that thing. <laughs> it happens to me when I watch videos, but sometimes it happens to me when I'm making a video. I was just, after playing the, the close carbon fiber neck guitar, I was just like, I really want a carbon fiber neck guitar. And so I I go, I'll get a Parker, <laughs> right? I'll get a Parker. So I, I bought the, the, the Parker. And, um, and like I said, I was very happy. So here's what's interesting about that. His price, his ask, I thought was very reasonable, but again, there's one just like it, I think on reverb right now, but I think that one has a ding in it and it's $150 less than what I just paid for this one. 
comparable. And, um, and so right buyer, right seller. You see what I'm saying? I gave him his asking price. So that's what I'm saying. You either wait for the right buyer because the second I saw one that wasn't exactly how I wanted it, I was going to pay the ask, uh, asking because I wanted it. It's one of those things. Sometimes I just want, I don't, it's not an impulse buy. Well, it is, but it's not an impulse buy. Like if I got a deal, I take a swing at it. It was more of a, I want it, but I want, I want to, uh, I want, uh, it to be forever. Um, robot slow, slow, slow mo says, didn't, didn't Parker go out of business? Exactly. I have a few Parkers and, um, it's not an investment. It's just, it gets harder. It's just like whenever there's companies like Parker that go out of business, um, and like old BC riches are examples of that too. I know BC Rich is still in business, but we're talking about the old USA ones. When you see companies stop making a certain guitar, one thing that you have to think about is each year it gets harder to find them in great condition. And so I wanted a, I have a Mojo Parker, which is the set neck. And now I have the Nightfly, which is the Bolton. I have the two Parkers and I kind of, I've always had a thing for Parkers. And so it was a really good experience. And so it worked out for both of us, you know, the seller and, and he was very kind. Even, I, I think he was actually super kind. He sent me a really nice thank you email. Like that was really cool of you to like, <laughs> and also I wanted to let him know, um, what was important to me buying it and not having, cause these can, things can get heavy too. They can be like nine pounds. I said, I, I, you know, if he's willing to take it out and weigh it, then I'm not here to get afterwards go, okay, now what's your best price? That just seemed like too much, too much of an ask. Um, uh, Claudia J says, could you demo that Parker? I'm going to do a deep dive on it. Actually, here's what's funny. Um, because as you guys know, Larry Tomarzio is my, my, my friend. Um, I sent him an email. He's already having somebody at the company work on this. The Demarzios that are in this are not, uh, standard. They're made for Parker. And I watched, uh, oh, too, way too many <laughs> Parker Nightfly videos. And what I learned was no one really had a lot of information about this guitar in their videos, their reviews. And so I thought, you know what? I have the resources. I have some friends that used to work at Parker. I have obviously Larry DiMarzio. So I'm gathering all the information right now. And I'm going to be doing a deep dive on this guitar, explaining uh, what it was, why it is, what it really is, why it has a round neck joint. That's right. The neck joint. See, is round. round. I've taken it apart. It's going to be fun. No one will watch it, <laughs> but I don't care. I just thought it'd be fun. And uh, like I said, because there's not you know, you could, uh, you'll be like me, you'll watch 20 YouTube videos on it and everybody will just talk about how much they like it or what they like or don't like about it. But I want to do like a historic deep dive on it. Uh, especially since I have access to the people that would know. So. Uh, okay. Uh, Robo, Robot Shlomo says, speaking of carbon fiber guitars like Parker, do you think they'll ever be more mainstream than they currently are? I wish they would. You know, that's why when the close guys reached out and said, would you like to do a video of, of our guitar? Um, I, I'm, I'm a real big believer of, of using materials other than the wood for no reason that I just find it's interesting. Plus, I want to see. I want to see evolution of guitar <laughs> to some degree. I mean, the historic aspect is beautiful. You know, the old Les Pauls, the old Fenders, the old this, that's really cool. But I like to see uh, engineering in guitars. I like to see, uh, you know, innovation on guitars. But by, by the way, I've been looking at Aristides guitars and if I can find the right one, I will buy one and I will put one on the channel too. Uh, again, for that same reason, I'm very interested in materials like that. Um, that's why I said when the close guys were like, um, 
you know, they make a carbon fiber neck guitar and it was more affordable. I thought it really cool. I tried to buy one. It didn't work out. So, you know, I, I would have bought a close guitar, um, but it didn't work out. They didn't have one to sell me. And so, um, in fact, uh, John at Bad Cat, I let him preview the close video before anyone else too. And he said, hey, I'd like to buy one of those guitars. I said, me too. And they didn't have any to, sh to sell us. So we couldn't get them. Uh, HK wants to know how heavy are those Parker guitars? This one is a, is an, uh, is an bolt on. This one's seven pounds, two ounces. My other one is four pounds, eight ounces. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's light. It's, it doesn't even feel like you have a guitar. In fact, I, I always make the joke, the strap doubles the weight. <laughs> okay. Uh, Patrick says, just a thanks because of your channel. I, Built a parts caster for my wife for Christmas to replace her cheapo beginner guitar, and now she plays it all the time. You know, two things that's great about that, obviously, that I appreciate the compliment, but also we've talked about this in the, pa in the past, about building these uh, kit guitars and personalizing your guitars and how they'll always have more value to you, to the person you give them to, than, you know, than just the standard guitar off the rack. Um, and that's what's great about that. You know, there's custom. We talk about custom guitars because that's, like, you know, who doesn't want a custom shop? Les Paul or Fender or whatever. That's always an exciting thing to talk about. But sometimes we forget exactly what Patrick is reminding us now is that, you know, he built a kit guitar and, and it's going to be, it's going to be this cool gift forever. It's something that your wife has a guitar that nobody has. She has a guitar built by you, put together by you. That's cool. Sounds like I'm sentimental and cheesy, maybe a little, but just a little. It's okay. We're all out a little bit of that. I'll drink a beer later and it'll work itself out. <laughs> um, I have Barkingart. <laughs> that's, I, if I'm saying that right, that's awesome. Uh, Barkingart uh, says, hey, Phil, I bought a Silver Sky SE from Sweetwater and it arrived with the lower horn neck pocket gap wide enough for almost two business cards. Okay, that makes sense. I can't remember how thick a business card is. I want to say it's, so two of them are probably half a millimeter thick. That'd be my guess. I'm guessing, but I think that'd be right. Could be wrong. Sweetwater says that's normal. Um, it says it won't affect playability or value. Is that true? Well, it won't affect the playabil playability. Um, a gap in the neck is, uh, I mean, most of the fenders before they got to CNC machines have the gap in the neck. And uh, if you've seen, I have a video on how to straighten necks. It's just like how to loosen the screws and kind of do it. Um, and so, you know, I've had many of you guys report to me that you bought core uh, PR Silver Skies with gaps in the neck. I can't remember if mine has one or not. I don't see one. Mine looks pretty tight. But I bought that from... I think Eddie's music, Eddie's guitars. So again, I don't want you to think like that was special sent to me by PRS. No, I bought that one from Eddie's uh, guitars. So, um, so to answer the question, does it affect the playability? It, it can, but most of the time it won't. So to say it won't is pretty, I feel pretty confident with that answer. The value, of course it affects the value. Everything that the guitar isn't perfect about the guitar will affect the, re the value because think of how you're scrutinizing it as a new guitar. Somebody's gonna scrutinize it from you as a used guitar. And then you might be so inclined to even point it out to the buyer as, you know, think, think of this. Not only is the buyer gonna find that, but what if you say, oh, by the way, this guitar just has a little gap there. Um, so if you're so concerned that it will affect the resale value, I, I will tell you this, how much will it affect the resale value? Well, not much right now because they're hard to get right now and people are getting top dollar for them still, you know. So does it affect the resale value right now? Not a whole lot, you know, 10%. So if you, let's say you could get $700 used, you'll get 630, so you're gonna lose 10%. That's a guess, just a, I, I'm giving you a scenario that's, that's feasible. Um, I, I would say, 
If you're dealing with sweet water, I would say two things. One, you have a great return policy, so you can just return it, exchange it out for another one. They don't want to do that. Well, then tell them you want to talk to their manager because that's something Sweetwater would do. They they definitely have a customer first policy as a corporate mo- mantra. So um, it's not because I've worked with them in the past too. Remember, I'm probably the biggest public critic of <laughs> Sweetwater. So <laughs> I say that because remember, my whole relationship with Sweetwater started with me just pounding on them too much. And I still kind of take a whack at them here and there um, because I don't know, because you know, no company's infallible, no person's infallible. Um, so that being said, uh, I would say your two uh, resolutions uh, are possible resolutions are you can exchange it for another one if they can get you one, or you can see if they will take a discount off of it. And that's reasonable, you know, as long as you're reasonable with it. Um, me, a dream would be exactly what I say, 10%. You want 10% off. So if you paid $750 for it, you want $75 off. And um, and if they can't do that, maybe 5%. That will give you, you know, $35, $40 off. That would be nice. And if they can't do that, always remember when you guys ask for discounts and refunds and stuff like that, there's two levels to this uh, when you're talking to anyone in retail in this industry. So say, hey, can you give me 10% off? And that would be nice. You know, You know, put that back on my card or whatever. And they go, yes or no. And they say, no, then go lower. Could you do 5%? You know, what can you do? Even if they say no, they're because they're going to say no. No, I can't do that. Well, can you do this? Just because they said no doesn't mean it's the end of the conversation. Then when they say no to the 5%, you can go, okay, well, what about 10% of value product? In other words, give me 10, 10, give me $70 worth of strings product. Sometimes they might have promotional product they can send you. I've done that in the past too. You know, that was a, a old trick. A lot of us, Older buyers used to do with Guitar Center and Mesa Boogie. <laughs> I don't know why I have that voice. I apologize. I just wanted to say Mesa Boogie like that. I remember when you'd buy Mesa Boogie and they'd be like, no discounts. You're like, all right, can you give me 10% off? Tax out the door on a Mesa Boogie. And they're like, nope. Mesa Boogie said no discounts. You're like, can you throw in 50 bucks in guitar strings? Like, sure. Because <laughs> they didn't care. The sales guys didn't care because they weren't discounting the product. They would sell the Mesa Boogie at full boat, and then they would just write, you know, like 20 packs to Dario, zero. <laughs> and so you could get them to throw in, or you could get them throwing cables and straps and stuff. Stuff you didn't care, but at least you got something, right? So same thing with this. You might be able to get them to adjust the value of the guitar, get them to adjust it with product or, or, or money compensation. Or like I said, your final recourse is you can just send it back and buy it from somebody else and get one that doesn't have the gap or learn to live with it. But like I said, if your main concern is playability, I don't think you have a concern value-wise. Uh, I'm sure somebody else in the opinion, in the comments going to have opinions too, what they think too as well. But uh, I would definitely, if it's bugging you, it will bug somebody else. That's usually my thought process. There you go. Honda says, mention Phil's name when asking for a refund from Sweetwater. You guys already do that. It's funny. Every once in a while, I, get, I, I hear from somebody at Sweetwater, and they go, oh, yeah, somebody brought you up. <laughs> I'm like, yep. And it's never in a good way. Very, I shouldn't say it. Not never. A lot of you guys are really cool and go, hey, I'm buying this because I saw Phil McKnight's channel. And that, believe it or not, that does help me. Um, um, uh, one of you guys, this is years ago, one of you guys sent a letter to Paul Reed Smith Guitars, not to Paul Smith himself, but to Paul Reed Smith Guitars saying that basically because of something I said or did in a video, you bought your first like real PRS. And it was like, it was a really heartfelt letter. The reason I know is not because PRS told me, they never told me a single thing. They put it in the employee newsletter and then Nathan showed it to me. (laughs) 
he said, he's like, you were in the employee's newsletter. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah. And he was flipping the page. And like, here it is. He's like, this, it was, it, cause it talked about how, I think the reason why I was in the newsletter was cause uh, one of you bought a good PRS cause I was talking about how passionate the employees are and how that's, how that, and of course they were sharing that with their, their employees. So sometimes it's nice. It does help. But so, you know, you guys will also mention, I've seen it too, uh, all the time. You'll mention it to a company like Phil McKnight says, you should give me a, a discount. <laughs> If it helps you, I could care less. That's how I look at it. If that helps, it's great. If it hurts you, I feel bad though. You know, if they're like, oh, well, that guy's a douche. <laughs> I'm sure you get that answer too. Who cares about what that, that guy on YouTube? Get out of here. That, I'm just warning you, that can happen too. I don't, I find name dropping is, uh, is my name is just not cloudy enough. Cloudy? Cloudy. With a T, has clout. <laughs> so, all right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm just reading some of your comments. Um, all right. There you go. I, 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 on a positive note, let me tell you this. If you guys uh, mentioned, you guys, so you guys mentioned that on this week's video with the bell tone guitar, there was a disclaimer. So, so, so some of you that hang out to the end, know there's a new disclaimer on the videos. Some of you are probably diehard viewers that didn't watch the end or like watching right now. What? Could go. There's a new disclaimer on the videos. It's at the end. Uh, there's a discussion about putting it at the front. I'm going to put it on the end of certain videos. There's actually another disclaimer too as well, but this is the one uh, we're talking about is this one. And the reason is, is because I've kind of decided, I told you guys this before, I'm going to lean into this. I have experiences on this channel where I've worked with a company, we've done a video, or I didn't work with a company, I've done a video and that company has just had it with me. They just don't like what I had to say and they don't, they don't feel the vibe and they just don't want to do anything with me. That's fine. But what I found is, is that there are companies like Bell Tone Guitars where in that video, I criticized a couple of things of his guitars, which was the understanding he had when he decided to work with me. And he very graciously and kindly, when I sent him the video to see it, he was exactly who you'd want somebody to be. He's like, thank you for the positives. I appreciate the, you know, the feedback, right? No one wants to hear like, oh, here's a problem I had here. I mean, overall, like I said, the guitar was a nine and a half out of 10. That's good enough. It's still an A. <laughs> but, um, so the reason I tell you that is, one thing I will tell you is this. If you hear me talking about a company that I'm dealing with on a, on a regular basis, don't be afraid to actually say my name with them and stuff. And even if it's in a negative way, because here's what I found. And it don't make up stuff, but you know what I mean. Um, if they're working with me, if they know. They know what we're up to on every Friday. Some companies love this, this that we're out there and we're talking and doing stuff. Some companies hate hate it. So um, it's it's uh, everything I say comes from a, a place in my heart. I don't say anything negative or positive because I'm I'm trying to get any. I have agenda behind it. I'm just saying things so that the I really what I want is I want everyone who buys like Belltone use this example. Uh, everyone who buys a Belltone guitar because of that video. I want them to get that guitar and be like, yep, it's what Phil said it was. And that to me means I did a good job. If you get it and you go, I wish Phil would have said this, I would have never got it if I'd known that. That's where I'm like, I just, that's the thing that just rips me up. And that's why I work harder on the next one. So, okay, we got to get back on the subjects of other stuff. What we have is D, D Sharon says, new gear day. As I sit and I wait for FedEx to deliver my new Fender Acoustasonic Players Series. Happy Friday, Phil. I am very excited for your uh, Fender Acoustasonic. That's a guitar. I, You know what it is? That guitar was the guitar that I think was like all the hype. 
right? Every channel got one, except for me. And <laughs> I only said it because it was kind of funny. I was like, huh. And then, <laughs> and then everyone got another one. And then they did another one. And I was like, oh. And uh, I told you guys, the only one I've ever played is the one that was locked on, a, on the wall at a guitar center. So I got to hold the neck and like strum it vertical because I couldn't find one to lock it. And uh, uh, maybe we'll do one as a deep dive soon. I'm really curious. Because you know why? I'm not impressed that, you know, everybody got one and they all said it was good. It, and some said it was not. Paul Davids, if you watch his videos, I think he was really honest. He basically said, it's good. It's not great. Which I love because that's kind of what I anticipate that guitar to be. I kind of picture it to be like the Golden A6 and stuff. It's good. It's not great. It's not It's not made to be great. It's made to be a really good workhorse, cool instrument, not the greatest acoustic ever, not the greatest electric ever. Um, so I, I could appreciate somebody gives me an honest answer like that, like, yeah, you know, if you need to, if you need to solve a problem, this solves it, you know, and that, and that might, I think that's a fair assessment, um, given that I haven't tried it. Um, however, uh, what is it? Um, oh, um, I still want to try one because I keep seeing it coming up a more and over again. And when I see that, it means it has staying power and staying power is more interesting to me than the hype, the first hype. You know what I mean? You need hype to get your product out there. I don't want to actually villainize that they got everyone out there one, because let's face it, it's really hard to get everything on everybody's radar. There's a lot of stuff out there for you guys to pay attention to. Who can pay attention to all this stuff? I feel that way. Uh, guitars are bad. Uh, that's why pedals, I can't even pay attention to pedals. Do you know almost every day it feels like? I'm, and I'm not exaggerating. Every day I get an email from one of you guys going, hey, Phil, did you see this new pedal? <laughs> like every day. There's a new pedal every day. So, and if you don't know, know that, just trust me, it's true. Every day there's a new pedal from somebody. It's crazy. 30 new pedals every 30 days. So it gets a little overwhelming to get everything on your radar. Um, Derek says he moved rooms and now he has a static issue with his amps. Okay. It disappears when he touches the strings. Is this dirty power? Uh, happens with all my guitars. What to look uh, for? Okay. He's look. he says what to look for, for top quality power conditioners. One thing I will tell you, I had that experience. And again, yours might be different than mine, but I had this experience where I had the same problem years and years and years ago when I, we, when I moved my, uh, office into another room in the house. And all of a sudden, all my amps had this hum. It was driving me crazy. And um, what it was, was uh, in the laundry room of our house. Sometimes if you guys, you know, everybody's different, but in our house, there's a refrigerator in the kitchen. And then there's a refrigerator like in the, in the garage. Sometimes people put refrigerators in the garage uh, for your beer. <laughs> Anyways, but, or a freezer or something like that. We had it in the laundry room. So there's a refrigerator in a laundry room. And the outlet I was in in the room was on the same breaker as that refrigerator. So that's what it was. Uh, my father-in-law is an electrician. He's a superintendent for an electrical company. He's an electrician. He came out and he figured it out. He figured out that's where it's come from. And I was going to run an extension cord and like figure out something else and get a power conditioner. And then what he did is um, he had a tester and he could test in the wall socket and then it would tell him, he would take a thing on, go to the, the breaker box and it would tell him what breaker each... Uh, outlet was on and he found an outlet in that same room that was on a different breaker and I plugged into that and it was gone. I don't know if that's your problem, but that's what I'm saying. Try that. I will tell you this. The trick that I also learned and I like to share with you guys is if you ever have that problem uh, with your amplifiers, another little cool trick that I learned is if you're trying to get away from a breaker where something's contaminating it, whether it's, you know, 
like that refrigerator or something like that, uh, always use your bathroom plugs because <laughs> they're uh, the GFI. They're on a different, they're usually on their own GFI thing. I, I don't have no idea what I'm talking about. I just, this is the things that my father-in-law says, GFI. And uh, I know it has the thing you push in. So uh, here's what I'm telling you. You run extension cord, plug it into your bathroom uh, thing and try it there. And it's always going to be uh, on a different breaker than anything else because it's those are on their own little breaker. So that's a good way I've learned to test that too. When I have an amp problem, especially when I'm demoing amps and stuff, sometimes I'll have an issue. And that's how I try to figure out if it's the hum of the amp or the hum from something in my house contaminating it. I've learned that my bathrooms are a perfect way to just run an extension cord in there and just, yep, it goes right away. And I go, okay, so it was my house, not the amp and vice versa. Uh, and some of you guys will have better answers. And some of you guys are probably electricians and you're going to go like, yeah, Phil got it half right. But try that stuff. It's easy. Um, Grumpy Mike Guitar says, wants to know what's my favorite type of vibrato system. I know it's funny. Everybody's going to tremolo system, vibrato systems. Uh, what's my favorite kind? Here's the thing. It's not about how it feels with the vibrato, the arm. It's how it feels on my hand. So that becomes the thing. So... I like the Floyd Rose because I like the way it feels on my hands. I like the uh, 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 Godo 510. That's a good bridge, especially if the, the screws aren't sticking out of the, of the saddles. Um, what else? I mean, I like strats as long as they're not poking my hand. It's Here's what it is. Uh, I Bigsby's feel good. Uh, to me, Bigsby's and Floyd's kind of have the same kind of bigger cushion kind of feel. And some of the Strat style tremolos are like shorter and stiffer and they kind of have more of a direct kind of feel. It's definitely, it definitely doesn't seem to matter to me that I don't need a certain kind of uh, vibrato uh, for feel. I just don't like it on my hand. I really kind of, uh, some of you are obviously like me too, sensitive to whatever's poking right there. Uh, that was driving me crazy. I don't palm mute, but I will rest my hand right, which is even worse, right at the edge where the strings meet the bridge, which to me is like the worst spot uh, as a habit because they will really kind of shred up your your hands on the saddles, on those screws. So that's really all I care about. But I like the Vega trim for that reason too. Um, some people have trouble with the Vega trim, everything poking out. But I, like I said, I, I adjust my, my thread pieces and if I have to cut them down, I just cut them down. So... Uh, but that's basically it. It's, it's like, I don't have a, if you notice, I don't have any tremolo system that I directly replace I, in my personal guitars. I have the Goto 510. I have the PRS tremolo. I have Floyd Rose. I have a Kaler. I have Bigsby. I have uh, a Vega trim. I have obviously the Parkers have their own tremolo system. What else? Yeah. I mean, the music man has its own tremolo system, but nothing in my Nothing in my, nothing in me makes me want to swap any particular bridge for anything else. The Vega trims, though, uh, what I like about them is they feel like Bigsby's. They feel big and they don't feel like short and tight like some of the uh, Strat-esque type tremolos feel. Okay. All right. Jared says, hey, Phil. Uh, I play technical death metal on an eight string best pickups for clarity yet still has some chug. I heard you say there's good uh, guitar fetish ones. Um, you know, that's a great question in the idea that I 
I'm not a huge, like obviously I'm not proficient on eight string, so I'm not sure what it is that you need for technical death metal on eight string. Um, my guess is that you want pickups that are not, um, that are not very powerful. You want, like I said, something like a PAF style pickup. That's what like Korn uses in their seven strings or something active. And the reason why active pickups are so important in guitars, like what you're doing is because a lot of guitar players are focused on one part of an active pickup. That's not the important part. They're focused on the preamp. So an active pickup has a preamp in it, like a Fishman or an EMG. And that preamp is going to send, let's say, a lot of juice to the amp and kind of push the amp a little bit. That's one thing that the preamp does. So there's this mentality out there for guitar players that EMGs, active pickups, that's metal, right? Or in your case, death metal. Um, that's, that's my most dad version of doing that. Um, <laughs> so anyways, um, and uh, but that's not why an active pickup is great for your genre music. It's great because active pickups use very weak magnets and that keeps the magnetic field very, very low. And, and that allows the strings to not worry about not only interference of being, you know, slowing down from, from the, as they oscillate, they kind of H pass slows down, but also um, it allows this, the magnetic field to be, do exactly what you want, give you a lot of clarity. In fact, nothing is weaker than a passive or an active pickup. That's why it needs an active preamp to push the signal back up. It's it's a it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful relationship between those two ideas. Low output pickup or low yeah, I'll say output. Low output pickup active preamp to push it. So that's why it's a great the active pickups are great for that style of music. So that's why I would consider those. Um, and to be honest with you, as much as I like Fishman and EMG, any of the knockoff ones are probably going to be very close. Because one of the cool things about EMG and Fishman and and, and also the, uh, uh, what is it, the, uh, I can't think of the Seymour Duncan ones, Blackouts, the Blackouts by Seymour Duncan, one of the things about them is the hardest part of that technology was developing it. <laughs> the first person to kind of like EMG to kind of design the idea. Once it was kind of done, it's really not an expensive process to mass produce. It's a kind of a pain in the ass for guys like me. I can't really wind you a, an active pickup and then fill it with full of black epoxy and, you know, kind of figure it all out. That's just too much for, for what I'm going to do. But for a manufacturer, I mean, you can make it pretty cheap, which is what the, the plight of those guys are is that you, they can make some, you can make some really good inexpensive versions of those pickups. So that's something I would consider. And that's all my limited knowledge of what you're looking for in your genre. But maybe those suggestions put you down a road that will help you, I hope. Um, Mike says, Phil, what is your take on the PRS amp and T15? Mark Tremonti signature, enjoy the show. I love that amp. Um, uh, it's a fantastic amplifier. I'm really excited about the new MT100. Uh, with three channels. That's kind of what I'm waiting for. I had one. I got rid of my MT-15 solely for that reason. I'm waiting for the MT-100. Um, the reason is I interviewed Mark Tremonti. He was super nice to me. He, he was super nice to do the interview. And uh, I'm a huge Tremonti fan. So let's just put it this way. Like, Alter Bridge is my top five bands of all time for me. I listen to Alter Bridge almost every day. <laughs> and when I say Alter Bridge, it's Tremonti too. It's like Tremonti and Alter Bridge. Like every day, it's in some kind of rotation of my playlist. Like literally every day. I'm, I think everyone in my house hates it because <laughs> I listen to it so much. Um, that being said, 
Uh, I kind of already resolved once I did that interview that once the uh, Tremonti 100 comes out, I'm going to I'm going to get one. I'm going to buy one. And so I would imagine with my relationship being somewhat positive with PRS, they might actually consider me for one of the, one of the first rollouts, you know, when it comes out to send me one. And so I sold my MT-15 because I'm ready. Like when they send it out, I do not want it to go back. So when they send it to me, if I have to buy it, then I want to be ready to buy it and tell them like, hey, please, can I just pay you for it and keep it? Or maybe I'll get lucky and they'll let me keep it. But, you know, that's part of this part of this world is, you know, sometimes, yeah, yeah, sometimes companies let you keep the gear, but a lot of times the companies want it back or send it off to the next channel or, or a magazine or whatever they're going to send it to. So I want to be ready, but I love it. I would have never considered getting rid of it. Wasn't I'm preparing for the 100 just cause I want it. Uh, Jeff says thoughts on the Ibanez AS 53 semi hollow. Um, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on it. Uh, uh, if it's, uh, it sounds like something I can consider for doing one of the videos on smelly cat jazz says I took a day off to go di- to go to Tommy Emanuel concert. Uh, but thanks to supply chain issues, my car is two months late at least, and I get to catch a live show. Uh, oh, I'm not sure I understand. So basically, you're going to the concert, but your car, like the car that's picking you up, or you just bought a car? I tried to buy a car. It was a, I told you guys, I don't own a car anymore. I got rid of my car like two years ago. <laughs> I got maybe a little longer. And uh, I got a wild hair, I guess is what you call it, wild hair to go buy a new car. And uh, oh, man, that was a joke. <laughs> That was an absolute, absolute joke. I thought dealers were bad before they had this kind of upper hand. It's not, it's, it's not a fun, not a fun conversation when they're like, oh, this much above sticker and we can get yours ordered. What? So I'll be waiting. <laughs> I'll be waiting. So that, but I'm glad you're hanging out with us. And I'm actually, I hope you get to see Tommy Emmanuel. That would be, he would be one of my, I don't know what you call it. Uh, yeah, he'd be my bucket list concerts. Like, I haven't seen him yet, but I'd like to see him. The Blue Llama and uh, Dream Dream Mago 53. Dream Mago 353 to Super Chats to support the channel. Like tips. Thank you. Oh, and Dream Dragonstorm 81 says, hey, Phil, I'm double. Oh, I'm doing a double cut kit build. Okay, so double cut. Okay, kit build. Wrap around bridge. But the bridge stud holes aren't different or aren't drilled must be seeing things aren't drilled any tips for bridge placement hole drilling make sure the intonation will be perfect during that yeah i have a video where i place that i think it's on my kit build uh from crimson guitars if not it's my other one but i have a couple because i have a couple build videos where i did some kits and if you watch i show and every one of those where i how i place the bridge and how i do it it's tried and true. It's the same way everybody else does it. Um, I even have templates and I chose to do it that way. That was a discussion in my, you know, in my head when I was making some of those videos. I have a template. Over time, if you do repairs, you have templates for everything because, you know, you get sick of doing the same thing over and over again because it's really monotonous. So you start just getting templates. And in those videos, I didn't use any of the my trick stuff. I did the way I would expect you guys to do it. So I would Dragonstorm, I would watch that video of that guitar build. And then there's others on YouTube as well, but I'm just saying there's where mine are. It's pretty easy. Uh, John own 11 can't play any says BMN bridge middle neck. He was asking what positions should he install the new pickups? Oh, bridge middle neck. Okay. I didn't catch the acronym. Uh, just trying to help. Thanks. I appreciate that. So he's talking about Christopher when Christopher was saying he's, uh, doing an air Norton chopper and a pro track. 
Um, me, I'd put the chopper on the bridge, the Air Norton in the neck, and the Pro Track in the middle. That would be my logic. And I really don't care what's in the middle for me personally. It's just to me the chopper on the bridge and the Air Norton in the neck. Air Norton's one of my favorite neck pickups. So that's my suggestion. <laughs> I'm sure, sure others will have some as well. Um, Josh, oh, Tosh, Tosh Jake says, hey, Phil, I own an independent music store in rural Australia. Would like to ask how many guitars and amps you had on display at McKnight Guitar Co. I've got about 140 guitars and 15 amps in the small store. Too few or too many? We had, a, you know, it was not a number of guitars. Well, display was physical, right? What you could physically display. I don't remember how many of those walls. I thought the first wall was 60 guitars. It might have been 80. Maybe it was 80. So it was like 80 guitars, first wall, and the second wall was 60 and then acoustics and, but we would stock, what we did is we had what's, we had an internal stocking profile. It was $240,000 of guitars is what we would stock. That's what we would keep on stock. So the reason we did it that way, and I didn't, I didn't count pegs. I was not a, count, a peg counter store. So it was like, okay, these are how many pegs I have. We always had way more guitars than pegs. What we did was, what, what I was always actively trying to do is trying to have the right inventory at the right times of year, which was always very hard. And I'm not going to say I got it right a lot. I did get it right sometimes. In other words, you know, January, you want a lot of student guitars. So you want, you do not, you know, you just had Christmas. You do not want to have a ton of your $3,000, $2,000 guitars in stock. You want to let those sell through and then have them come in a little bit later, like February and get ready for those tax returns. You know what I mean? So, um, so that's how we would do it. But we always did everything by a dollar amount. So we would have an amount and we grew that number over time. We started our, our, our original inventory of the entire store was $30,000. That's what we started with. It was actually 14,000. And then we were able to, to double that up to 30,000. And then we were at 30,000. And then, and then we got to a point where it really plumed up pretty crazy. And then we realized like, there's just too much inventory in the back and people couldn't even see it anymore. And then we were like, okay, let's figure this out. So we would rotate this $240,000 inventory. Is, and that was because the way we would operate the business was we knew, we knew what we wanted to make at the end of the year. Gross. Like we knew what our goal was. The goal was based on a bunch of things. What, the, what it would take to keep Fender in the store. What it would take to keep Paul Reed Smith in the store. What it would keep, uh, take to keep um, you know, Ivan is in the store. Because you have all these brands you're trying to satisfy. And they want certain buy-ins. So we're like, okay, we have to have their inventory. And then you have used inventory and then we would try to figure out that. And then we'd also try to figure out, you know, when you're flipping guitars, what your average commit, I say commission, but what your average you're going to make, let's say 20%. It's a great number to kind of focus on. Cause sometimes you double your money and sometimes you make 30%. Sometimes you make 10% depends on the guitar and the situation. So 20%. So for every $10,000, we're going to make two. So to make $2,000, we need to flip to That was kind of the mentality of our store forever was, if we make $2,000 on $10,000, that wasn't really the concern. The concern was we need to flip $10,000 four times to make eight, five times to make 10, right? So if you need $10,000 to make your nut, we need to flip a $10,000 inventory five times. Yeah. So that's how we looked at inventories. How many times could we flip this inventory? And that's what we would do is constantly just flip the inventory, flip it, flip it, flip it. And uh, it worked for us. It was very successful for us. Um, and it became harder and harder each year as the internet got bigger and bigger, but we were able to do it. So that's kind of what I think. But I would tell you this. Uh, I don't know if that's the right way for everybody, but one thing I would definitely think about is 
It's not about how many guitars you have. I think that was like a focus for a long time is how impressive, you know, how to people walk in and how impressed they are. Really, It's not impressive. You're not here to impress customers. You're here to take care of the customers. <laughs> so you just, you want every guitar walking out the door. That's kind of what the logic was. Um, and so that's kind of how we did it. Uh, Greg Sachs says, finally getting my feet wet with speaker replacements. I found a used 214. 2014 bad cat speaker that is landing next week any tips even in even if not enjoy the beer money as as always uh yeah the bad cat well what's great about the bad cat uh because the bad cat's a vintage 30 but it's uh it doesn't have the rubber coating around the seal they have that removed to give it a broken vintage 30 sound and feel and uh they're actually made in the uk they're very good speakers for sure uh what's great about bad cat is they're not really a uh, especially current bad cat that's because you know it's been in different ownerships the current ownership john he is not a you know uh what do you call it a, a cost-cutting company he's you know he wants the best and so he literally buys that's why he demands that they have uk british made uh selection speakers and spec to their to their to what exactly what they want okay uh, plaster populous, plaster populous. <laughs> I don't know why that was. I love reading the names and I love kind of jacking them up sometimes not to be disrespectful just because after a while I'm like, I don't even know what I'm reading anymore. It says, uh, Hey Phil, I got a Martin triple O junior. Uh, love it. Except that the intonation is not great, especially as you play higher up the neck. Any suggestions? Yeah. You're going to have to change the bridge. Uh, that's basically the saddle. And the bridge. I don't have to change the whole bridge. When I say the bridge, I mean the saddle. I know somebody will put in the comments, uh, don't you mean the saddle? Yes, I mean the saddle. <laughs> in the bridge. Uh, you want to go to a more compensated one. That's probably the issue. It's very common. Um, you can have, you can take it to a, a shop and have somebody carve you one, or you can buy a pre-made one and see if you get lucky and drop that in. You have a 50-50 shot to get it right just by buying an aftermarket one. The Blue Llama says, hey, Phil, thanks for all you do. Smartwood Exotic with Saturday Night Special RG550 with active EMG pickups. Play classic rock, hair, trash metal, opinions on pickups or better options for the sound. None. <laughs> pickups are thing. Pickups are tough. You know, it's funny is everybody was like, what pickup would you suggest for, suggest for this? And the problem is there's so many pickups that do essentially the same things. And then that becomes, and then pickups don't really sound the same in every guitar. As much as people want to say that's true, it can be true that if I put one JB in every guitar, will it sound generally the same? Yeah, but it's not exactly the same. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I think your pickups sound fine. I think that's the ones I would pick. I like EMGs. I like Saturday Night Specials. Um, there's no, I don't know. I don't want to say you have to worry about anything better. I wouldn't mess with them. Unless there's something, in fact, the question you gave me, you know, it would be more helpful for me is if you told me what you didn't like about them. And so if the question is just, you know, if, what I think and if there's something better, um, not there won't be something better as long as you like them. If you have an issue with them, I could probably suggest what you may need to change to to solve the problem you're having. But both those sets of pickups sound great to me. 
Antique Rocker says, I just got a Fender Tone Master Blonde Twin Reverb. I keep hearing that it, it should feel different than a tube than the tube version. Wait, what? I keep hearing that it should feel different than a tube version? He says, WT how? Uh, I don't know if, well, here's what you're, here's what you're talking about. You're talking about when people say it doesn't feel like a tube amp. Well, it doesn't feel exactly like a tube amp. It's, it's tube amp-esque, like, just like the Kemper and the Axe Effects. They have a certain sound and feel to them that's pretty close, but there's something about tube amps and how they compress and how they interact with how hard you, you hit and stuff. There's a little subtlety there. I personally, like I said, I think the, the, um, Tone Master stuff is is legit. Like I said, when I reviewed the uh, Deluxe Reverb, I think I've told you guys this on the show. If I would have bought the the Twin Reverb, I think I would have kept it. But I have a Deluxe, and so the question the question for me is real simple on the Tonewood stuff, the Tonewood uh, or Tone Master, sorry, Tone Master uh, amp series from Fender. If you're asking me if the Tone Master uh, Twin sounds as good to me as the real Twin, it doesn't. But that's not a bad thing. That's like, it sounds 90% as good. That's pretty damn close. And it's a lot lighter. And it's a little bit less money. And you don't have to worry about tubes. There's a lot of benefits to that. I personally wish they would have gave more options on it. Not all the options I said in the video, because I just want to go through all the issues I think people might have. But, you know, a couple things would be nice. Um, but me personally, the main thing is, I, I don't see a world where I'd want to own a real twin and the Tone Master twin. Um, I'd like to own the Tone Master Twin because I don't have a real twin. So, you know, I've been thinking about one. I can't justify it, but I've been thinking about one. The Deluxe Reverb, the issue is the, with the Tone Master for me was, is good. I just didn't think it was as good as my real Deluxe Reverb. So I didn't see a world where I wouldn't just use the real one all the time. And so I didn't want to have it just sitting around not getting used, collecting dust, that kind of filth. Um, but yeah, the Tone Master. But when you're talking about, when people are talking about this stuff, look, if you're happy with it and you hear, you think it sounds great, it sounds great. Ultimately, and I always say this, like a broken record, gear is not for anyone else but you, right? Remember my chef analogy? You know, when you're cutting the vegetables with a knife, no one's opinion of your knife matters but you. <laughs> Same with your gear. It's for you to make music. If you make beautiful music with a piece of gear and somebody says, oh, that's that, that doesn't have the secret tone or whatever it is, eh, you know, that's... Well, we're, we're kind of jerky gear guys, so we talk a little bit like that sometimes, but it's not real. What's real is, what can you make music with? What can you make um, joy with for yourself and other people? Um, I, there's all kinds of pieces of gear that, and especially, like, I think, I think that's one thing I, I will tell you guys that I can tell you definitely, is there are some people who are going to tell you a piece of gear sucks just because they can't afford it. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. That's not a that's not a burn or a cut down or anything. If somebody can't afford a ten thousand dollar Les Paul and they say it sucks, I understand where there's a little bit of skepticism in that. Well, they're just saying that because they can't afford it. If they could afford it, they'd get one. You might be they might be telling the truth, um, and vice versa. Some people might buy an expensive guitar and then say all oh, cheap guitars are are bad because they need to justify their their what they are they purchased. That's also true. There's an agenda there. As someone who has both that kind of gear here, like I have both expensive and inexpensive gear, I can tell you that none of those answers seem right to me. I just like something because I like it. And that everything gives me a different feeling. And sometimes it's just cool to own it. 
it's a cool feeling. Sometimes, it, think about this. The thing I play the most on, the guitar I would play the most on and the amp that I enjoy playing the most is the least I talk about when talking to my friends about music and gear because it's not the most interesting. It's kind of like if I said I had a, imagine, and from my mind, it's imagine I'm a multi-multi-millionaire and I'm worth millions and millions of dollars and I have whatever I want. And I, I buy a Toyota Camry because it's dependable and it gets, it gets gas, good gas mileage and it's comfortable and I use it every day, but I have a Lamborghini that I never drive. What do you think I'd talk about all day? <laughs> you think I'd tell everybody, go, man, that, that Camry, man, starts in the cold, in the heat, dependable, quality. No, I'd be like, man, my Lamborghini goes zero to 60 in so many seconds. It, that's, that's what it is. So, so some gear is going to get hype talk regardless. And that's just how it's going to go. So, uh, so, uh, on the tone master stuff, I understand what you're saying. I think the core of what your question or your comment is, is that some people are saying it's just not as good as a tube amp, but that statement is really kind of a thin statement. I agree with it, by the way, it's not as good as a tube amp. However, it is really damn close and that's good enough for me in my mind. So, Um, Hog Rotten says, I got a new Marshall TSL 40 for $500 out the door. Thoughts on those? I did a review one of those. That's one of my favorite affordable, uh, Marshall amps. And when I say affordable, $500 is not necessarily inexpensive. So uh, when I say affordable, I don't mean inexpensive. Uh, this is the word that's getting troublesome on the internet, internet, <laughs> not just with me, but a lot of channels I talk to, we say affordable and everybody's like, ah, that's not affordable. I'm like, okay, well, affordable is different to everybody, but I want you to know when I say affordable in a video has nothing to do with what I make or has nothing to do. Like, so if I say something affordable and you go, that's not affordable, he must be either making way more than me or make it less than me or whatever. I always speak to industry standard sales. That is, that is my brain for that kind of talk. Obviously, like I said, owning a retail business for 13 years, I am conditioned to think that way. This is what price point sales. And, and again, it changes because of the inflation. So I, some of my, my information is going to be outdated from inflation. But like to me, a $250 acoustic guitar, a decent acoustic guitar, $250, like a Fender CD60, is a decent guitar and it's considered affordable. Affordable mean, yeah, of course, they make $100 guitars, but it's the first good acoustic at 250 bucks. You can buy good acoustics, like from Orangewood, from Fender, from Yamaha. You can buy good stuff at 250 bucks. If you were to say, I don't think $250 is affordable. I think affordable is 150 bucks. That's your opinion on how the world reacts to you and your personal circumstances. That doesn't make you wrong. But when I'm talking about, I'm not talking about what I think about, like I can easily spend 250. I think we know they sell more $250 acoustics than $300 ones. That's just how it goes, right? And you could say that about any stair step, but there's definitely sweet spots in the industry. So um, you understand when I say like this guitar, when I like that close guitar, when I said it was $1,200, I said it more affordable. Some people reacted. There's a lot of comments. And again, not, nothing wrong with that. Just saying they're like $1,200 is not affordable. Well, comparatively speaking for a carbon fiber type instrument, it's extremely affordable. In fact, it's the only carbon fiber instrument you can find under $3,000. And that's on the low side. So being half of the lowest secondary price uh, is very affordable comparatively. I'm not trying to say $1,200 is, is chump change. I'm just saying, you know, it's like if you were looking at Ferraris and Lamborghinis, and then all of a sudden I said, hey, Chevy came out with a new sports car that has those same specs, but they're selling it for $60,000. $60,000 is a lot of money for a car, 
but not when you're comparing it to $200,000 cars. So same thing. I'm just giving you a reference for what I call affordable. It's just, that's what I'm talking about. I thought about maybe more stipulations like that in the videos, but, uh, but there you go. Um, Mighty Guitar Mod says, is the Fender CD60 any good? Is a Fender CD60, is a campfire guitar? Of course it is. It's a great guitar because you, you got to understand why it's a great guitar is because Fender obviously has that made probably by Cortec or somebody like that. And one thing that they do, uh, Fender has is a huge buying power huge. So they buy so many of those guitars that they can get those guitars built really well, really cheap. That's just how, so it's a good guitar. It's got a Fender warranty on it. It's got a Fender logo on it. I mean, depends on your, how old you are. If you're older, you're going to think Fender and acoustic is just a bad thing because Fender made used to make crappy acoustics. Now you got to stand Fender doesn't make acoustics. They OEM acoustics for some of the best, biggest OEM acoustic manufacturers. So you know, it's the same as everybody else's acoustic, just Fender will buy down their pricing with volume and throw that in. It's, it's, it, it's why Ibanez used to be one of the most affordably priced dominant forces in the acoustic market. And then Fender just went after them a year after year, just pounding on them, pounding on them. Okay. Luke says, I have a Gibson SG special with mini humbuckers, but I mostly play high gain metal suggestions for mini humbuckers that work with this type of music. Well, I think the ones that are probably in there work that type of music. Because again, high gain metal. See, it's it's there's differences in the way music is created, let's say 30 years ago versus now when it comes to pickups and and amplifier relationships. Think about think about the most iconic metal pickup. Obviously, the Super Distortion by Demarzio was one of the first aftermarket pickups, obviously ever. And then of course it's was like it's this it's the staple of the 80s, right? It's like every us late 70s 80s right everybody had one um Kurt Cobain had one <laughs> right uh, in his guitar so everybody had a super distortion and here's why because it was like okay how do you get a fender how do you get the marshall how do you get to break up and you're like okay and a super distortion pickup into a tube screamer just throttle the front end of that amp get all that gain just got every dripping drop of gain you can get out of that amp that's the way it was done forever and it can still be done that way if you use that type of gear but in modern metal you're going to see, let's say, Mesa Boogie forward. Now you're talking about the 5150, the Mesa Boogie, the Diesel, the Bogner, the Saldano, the... I'm looking around the room. With, uh, the, uh, I said Engel. Did I say Engel? No, I didn't say. I said Diesel, but now I'm saying Engel. Engel. Those amps create all the gain you're ever going to need. You don't even need a tube screamer. They're going to be just fine. And so, if anything, I personally think you got to go the opposite with the pickup. To me, the mini humbucker is a perfect pickup for that. It has a narrow field of what it's going to pick up in the string, so it's real tight. It doesn't have a so the wider that field, the more low frequency, high frequencies you're going to get. Where those narrow pickups actually get all those mids, which which are great for classic rock, but really great for new metal. Because, in fact, I honestly believe that the only thing that's not cool about a mini humbucker is it doesn't look metal. It looks like you know teeny, but as a as a as a new metal tone, I think it would be a fantastic pickup, uh, regardless of the type. You know what I mean? If it's a higher gain or a higher output one or a lower output one, I don't think you need to push it. I don't know what amp you're using and stuff, but that's what I would suggest to you. You really probably don't need to change anything in them. 
you can probably just, you work the amp and you, you want your gain now to come from your amps. Amps are really use the pre-gain distortion. And if you're using a Kemper, an Axe FX, a Quad Cortex, all that stuff, uh, it, not that it doesn't matter, it still matters what kind of pickup you are, but you're not, same thing, you're not looking for something to really push those units. You don't need to push them to overdrive. You can set them up to where they do the overdrive regardless of that. Okay. Uh, two things real quick. I just want to say, Chris uh, said, hey, saw Tom Emanuel in New York City. Definitely worth it. Go again. He'll go again. I, you know what? I, I got to go. I got to go. You know, and especially now I'm, I'm getting ready to start getting out again and doing stuff in June. It's, uh, I have a lot of stuff planned coming up, and uh, I'm planning to see some shows too. And then Inky V says, hua, hua, <laughs> for, for those out there, hua. Uh, he says, uh, thanks for another show. Show. So it's a, it's, it's funny. You know, what's funny about that is, um, uh, is, uh, I think that's a thing that just, you know, it never leaves you. <laughs> I don't care how many years, you know, I feel like that was a whole lifetime ago when I was in and yet now it's still whoa, <laughs> just, um, whoa. So, all right. Um, let me, we're going to call the show. It's, we're at the two-hour mark. Oh, um, dude, I'm not old. I'm vintage. We're going to end on this note. Said, did we ever settle this favorite Spice Girl debate? This is a great thing because I had a viewer reach out. Um, I don't know how he did it because it went to uh, my wife. I, it didn't go to me. And then she forwarded it to me, but then I didn't know how to get back to the person. And he's the person who asked me about Spice Girls last week. And I guess he was concerned that because the show ended kind of a, a shortly after that, he was concerned that, that somehow you know, it tripped me up and in, in, in the show and he felt guilty about that. I don't want you to feel guilty about that. That's not what happened. The show, like the Spice Girl thing was actually kind of funny. I just couldn't remember the Spice Girl things and I was tripped up. And then I started paying attention to too many comments and I kind of lost it. But more importantly, um, then uh, uh, Laz, Music Therapy Laz from Music Laz channel brought up uh, Dave Nesdell. And uh, so I'm going to end the show on this. We lost Dave Nesdall. Those of you guys know him. I was on his show many times. He used to be with Johnny Bean, and then he had Nez Says, and he did his own show, and I did one last year with him. And some of you even know even more so than that, if you know who Dave Nesdall is, you know that he was uh, obviously very close friends with my good friend, uh, Larry Mitchell. And when I played with Larry Mitchell, uh, Dave would help me because Dave could dissect Larry's guitar playing and uh, he would work with me on like Zoom calls. I would play bass and he would play Larry's parts and uh, he would guide me through anything I would have that would trip me up on any of Larry's stuff. And that way I didn't have to put a burden on Larry. And Dave was so nice to do those things, to teach me those things. And, uh, and uh, I honestly want to just obviously say he was, he'll definitely be missed. Um, my heart goes out to his family. He was way too young. And... And, uh, and I, and I just, so those of you who know him, uh, what's great is one thing that is really great is we have tons of videos of him with imparting tons of knowledge about all kinds of stuff. And so those are going to be timeless and you can watch them. I actually found myself watching two or three of them this week. They're fantastic. And I can tell you as someone who is, I don't want to say known for knowing stuff, he is someone who's one of the few people that I use as a resource of information. I many times I would text him in the middle of the night because he was in New York, different time zone. Uh, what speakers come in the PV? <laughs> like even I was like I would use him as a resource for things, and uh, 
And like I said, he'll be missed. And so that that tripped me up because I didn't know if we should be talking about that yet. I wanted to make sure it was clear with the family and everything. So so that's what uh, did it. So I want to say, don't worry about the the Spice Girl thing. And to answer to answer, uh, uh, I'm not all on vintage. We did not uh, settle the Spice Girl debate, but maybe it's okay if we never settle the Spice Girls debate ever. Who's the favorite Spice Girl? Um, <laughs> I think I think that's a mystery we we should leave, and maybe. Like maybe when we get to the 500 show, we'll answer who's the favorite Spice Girl. All right. On that note, guys, I want you to go play guitar, have fun, enjoy your uh, families, enjoy your friends, enjoy your life. And until next Friday, also know your gear. And I will see you next Friday, same time, uh, same channel. Oh, I didn't need to warn you though. Uh, I had an opportunity to change the time next week. It was the same time next week. But uh, apparently they're installing a new door in the house or something. I don't know. Something my wife told me construction might be happening during the show. So next week might be a little exciting. We'll go. But we'll go with it. It'll be fun. On that note, thank you guys so much. I'll see you next Friday. Know your gear.